1: And thank you so much for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. hope everybody is having
0: a wonderful, wonderful week. Let me tell you, it's a much better week here in the Midlands because the sun has finally started to come out. And I am being British again. I know. Hello, British. But the sunshine just makes everything so much better, so much better, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, let's get cracking. Got some really good questions, actually. Um, so first question: Any advice for people's who part
1: whose partners, sorry, are feeders? And I think. There's sort of like two ears that
0: this can fall on, isn't there? And I think, firstly, acknowledging potentially why we're calling them a feeder. And there's something that we know as love language. And a lot of the time, people's love language can be like giving in terms of nutrition. Whilst it's not always beneficial if, say, your goal is fat loss, right? But that love language tends to come from, like, maybe childhood. Maybe they grew up in an environment where their parents were feeders and that was a habit that they then formed or maybe they grew up in an environment where like food wasn't around a great deal and you tend to see that with the older generation like there was um like of course food food is around in abundance at the minute but back then it was sort of like of course there wasn't as much in terms of financial stability whilst okay cost of living is going up at the minute let's let's be honest but there was also not much food availability in terms of like within the house. So then, of course, now, if they've got the capacity to provide for those that they love the most, what a lot of people tend to see is that comes with a trend of nutrition. And you may go around to your grandparents, you may go around to see your parents and be like, do you want some food? 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 Want some food? And I know that on a personal level, like, I can go to my parents, my dad's, and my dad's partner is always, do you want some food? Do you want some food? Do you want some food? And that's her love language. And it's, I've, it fills my heart with joy. And I think it's so wonderful. Now, <clears throat> I don't think necessarily that people are quote unquote feeders. I'd question that language. Because if, if people are feeders and potentially they know about your goal, that could be detrimental to your goal, right? And if this is your partner that you love the most... They're not going to be doing anything that's damaging to your goal. So potentially reframing how you see this and being like, okay, this is his love language, her love language, whatever. This is their love language. This is how they're, this is their way of expressing how they feel about me. Wonderful, right? So then you start to see it as a positive rather than my partner is a feeder. That's quite a negative. So one of the things that you can look to do here is educate them. and and like really have a nice open conversation with them. It's in essence, putting in a boundary. It's putting in a boundary where they're aware of your goals. And they're also aware of how you're looking to achieve your goals. I.e. you need to be creating, say, a calorie deficit if your goal is fat loss. So say if they're making a meal and it's lasagna, and usually you would have lasagna, garlic bread and fries. Could you then be saying... My goal is fat loss. I really want to enjoy the lasagna with you, but I'm going to have a side salad. And it's giving yourself authority in this situation, but in a kind and open way, where that you're not dismissing their love language and you're not putting them down as such, but you're opening up to them. And you're saying, look, this is really important to me and I want to lose weight because of X, Y, Z. And then with that, you're opening the avenue for them to make choices for you. Other things we've got are not eating all the food on your plate. Um, a big one for a lot of people. And a lot of people can have this sort of guilt feeling with not eating all the food on their plate. And again, that tends to come from childhood, that you were told that you must eat all the food on your plate or you weren't allowed something else. Or you were told you must eat all the food on your plate because there were children starving in Africa. So then this comes with this innate desire to eat everything on your plate So one of the things that you can look to do is be mindful with your eating. So we talk about this quite regularly. So make sure that you're present with your meal. Make sure you're slowing your pace of eating down. Make sure you're eating without distraction and really honoring the taste, the texture, the smells, like checking in with your fullness throughout, especially if you've chronically dieted, you may struggle to recognize that fullness So really paying attention to your your internal internal feelings within this um, setting of eating your meal. And then if you have finished and you haven't eaten all the food on your plate you don't need to explain yourself you're full that's okay there may be some questions but it's just acknowledging that you are just full you don't need to justify why you've left food on your plate other things that we can look to be doing are say if this is your biggest meal in the day because this is your most social meal then how can we reduce calories around that? Can you reduce calories in your breakfast and in your lunch? Now, that's not something that I recommend on a broad spectrum because we know that it's not beneficial to be keeping all of our calories to the latter part of the day. And for a lot of people, it's actually not beneficial at all for the last meal of your day to be the biggest meal of your day. Not only because of satiety and fullness, because of blood glucose regulation. Um, So that is an option, but that's on a very subjective level. And it's not something that I would recommend regularly. However, I would recommend educating them and talking to them and, you know, like sitting down and then looking at how you're eating your meal and knowing that you don't have to eat it all and that you don't have to explain yourself as well. And also reframing. They're not a feeder. That's their love language. Because a feeder sounds quite negative, right? Like their they're, 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 they're actions are detrimental to your goals, And they'll only be detrimental to your goals if that's the story you tell yourself because you're telling yourself you must eat all the food on your plate and my partner is a feeder. See, a limiting belief, right? Prevents you achieving your goals. Whereas my partner's love language is nutrition. He likes to, he or she, sorry, likes to spend time cooking a meal and making that for me. Wonderful. So privileged. Gratitude, appreciation. However, I have a goal of fat loss. I know from working with Rebecca from years and years and years of understanding that I need to reduce my calorie deficit. I need to be in a calorie deficit. Therefore, I can acknowledge what's on my plate. So I'm going to eat the veggies first, eat the protein, and then maybe stop at the carbohydrates, not eat all of them as an example. So there's so many different ways you can do that, but a reframe and the story um second question um i read something about i read something on an nhs fact sheet about menopausal weight gain and it said if you consume 1000 calories 700 it will be used and 300 lays fat it then said post-menopause 700 calories are fat storage
1: and 300 for usage due to metabolic slowdown what do you think on this um I'm sick of people playing on the menopause, frankly, sick of it. So
0: a couple of of things to take into consideration here. Firstly, there was no female studies done before 1993. None. So when people are citing like research and they're bringing it up, especially for females and like hormonal health, endocrine issues, a lot of it is from like male rats. Because before 1993, a lot of the research, well, all of the research was on males. It wasn't until World Health Organization in 1993 brought about the change that women needed to be in research.
1: So there isn't much research and much data at all, at all on females, right? And then you have marketing gimmicks that capitalize on menopause. Is it fact that you will
0: gain weight in menopause? No. No, it's not at all. Will your metabolic rate slow down? Yeah. How much? Negligible, really. And you can, you can mitigate that.
1: And I think, do you know what? My biggest issue with all of this is, you it's not empowering women. It's not at all. Instead... It's playing on vulnerabilities, like insecurities. Now people fear the menopause, and fear what's going to happen to their bodies. Instead
0: of being empowered with knowledge, instead of feeling like they can get through the menopause, and looking at what they can do, instead it's like well my metabolic rate's going to slow down, I'm going to gain fat. So what's the point? There is so much point, right? And Actually, I, I did a little bit of research um, about the risks of eating disorders and perimenopause, um, and I put this in the group with the menopause ladies. Um, so there is an increased risk of binge eating disorders eating in the luteal phase of a cycle, right, when estrogen and progesterone peak together. That comes with that heightened risk of binge eating. And when we think about menopause, we often attribute it to hypoestrogen oestrogen estrogen. estrogen Genism, But actually, there are stages during the perimenopause when that estrogen is dominant because of the reduction in progesterone, right? So there are times when estrogen is dominant. And this is when we tend to see the peaks in disordered eating in people who are perimenopause, which is really interesting, right? but then there was a study done this year in the perimenopausal women and they found that dissatisfaction with body image is a key factor in disordered eating around midlife menopause and the two drivers that were central to disordered eating in perimenopause were fear of weight gain a fear of losing control over eating habits so if you're then reading something that says my metabolism's going to slow down my metabolism my, my, Metabolic rate is going to slow down. Um, my metabolism is going to break. Um, my fat storage is all going to change wild amounts. You're fearing gaining weight, right? You're fearing then your food, that is directly linked to an increased risk of binge eating and disordered eating in the perimenopause, and of course we can't deny there are things that do change there are things that do occur with the changes in terms of your hormones right let's be honest there is a change in adipose tissue distribution this is like fat storage this does come from that reduction in your hormones however We do also see a small change in metabolic health. And we also see this with people taking like beta blockers as well. But you can mitigate it with some things. Resistance training, movement, stress management, protein intake, sleep hygiene. You know, all of the things that we're working on. And this is why I put that message in the group this morning. Well, one of the main reasons, obviously, is an infinite amount of reasons I put messages in there. That if you want long-term changes, you have to commit to long-term change. And going through the menopause, if you are resistance training, you are infinitely healthier than if you weren't. If you are going for a daily walk, infinitely healthier. If you're managing stress with like journaling, meditation, um, yoga, infinitely healthier. Getting protein in infinitely healthier and i know there is so much struggle in the menopause because some days you're going to wake up and your energy is going to be rock bottom you're going to spend all night tossing and turning you're feeling aggravated you're feeling frustrated there's going to be times when you don't want to do this but it's what you're doing for the majority of the time right and actually what we tend to see is an increase in weight gain in the menopause not because of the menopause but because of the symptoms associated with the menopause that then can cause this low energy, can cause this fatigue and cause you then not to take the action.
1: And <laughs> I think that's a really important thing to take home. That actually the menopause isn't
0: directly linked to weight gain. It's not at all. That's that's fiction. And there are people who lose weight in the menopause. Like It is harder And some do need less calories because of the slight reduction in your metabolic rate. But let's be honest, there is, that happens with everybody. Like we haven't all got the metabolic rate of a 21 year old. Unless you are 21. Hi Katie. (laughs) Um,
1: So yeah. What are my thoughts on that? That's not empowering you. That's imprisoning you. Rather, instead of worrying about fat distribution... I'd I'd
0: worry about what you can do to help yourself. More movement, more protein, more structure, more balance. Planning your week, biggest tool for menopause, biggest tool. Getting at least two resistance training sessions in. And, And that's, I think, the main thing to take home. It's up with everything, isn't it?
1: I think we can, like, you can expose yourself to so much. Um... How to be mindful when I'm working and it's really busy and I don't have much time.
0: I had another conversation this week about mindfully eating. And in an ideal world, like in inverted commas, we would all spend 10, 15 minutes mindfully eating, wouldn't we? You know, When we're sat with presence, we've checked in with our emotions, how we're feeling, acknowledged any stories that we're telling ourselves. We've got no distraction in front of us. Um, We're honouring the taste, texture, the smell. Pausing halfway through, putting your knife and fork down and checking in with your fullness. Like ideal world, right? Ideal. Shockingly, we're not all living um, in a beach, on a beach in Marbella, living our best lives and a lot of us do have high commitments and I'm the first to say that most of my lunches are sat at my laptop but that doesn't necessarily take away from mindful eating so in these situations if you are finding yourself really busy just simply taking a couple of deep breaths before the meal and giving yourself a little bit of leeway like that to be like to just bring about that awareness because ultimately that's what we want in these situations. We want some cognitive awareness of what you are doing to help not only regulate your hunger, but acknowledge that you are eating. And I had a conversation with a client last night as well about this, who has come away from binge eating. Absolutely incredible. She has, bless her, she's done incredible work. I'm so unbelievably proud of her. But she's really struggling with the mindful eating. And she's really struggling with the mindful eating in terms of like removing distraction. She doesn't want to acknowledge that she's eating. And this I see as a trend. If you have gone through binge eating, overeating, in that moment, you've not wanted to acknowledge what you're doing right. Instead, you've wanted to take away any amount of awareness and you just, it's just eating, it's eating, it's eating. So then there's a low amount of trust in the eating behavior. And you're not present in that moment because you you fear that you're going to lose control. It's not to do with the eating at all. It's the loss of control that you're fearing. And mindful eating is a really important concept, especially if you're working through binge eating and you are coming away from like years of yo-yo dieting over restriction. But realistically, you're not always going to be able to be mindful, but you can take a breath and you can implement a pause and you see it now still in the office don't you or in the working environment people running around three miles an hour three thousand miles an hour with a sandwich in their hand um, like troughing it whilst on the phone um talking to joe blogs down the road and then they're not sure what they're eating how they're eating why they're eating instead they're just eating and we've all got a few minutes to just take a breath and it's putting in a boundary as well that's something that I really struggle with, especially at lunch, because I'm on my own, at home, working. Like actually putting yourself putting aside time, is it that you're too busy or is it that you just don't make the time to eat? So there's another thing for that as well. Is it that you're procrastinating a bit through the day and then everything catches up with you and would you be better being productive, and then spending 10 minutes eating, as an example. But if it is the former and you are really wildly busy, then just taking a couple of deep breaths to just be like, okay, this is what I'm eating. This is what I'm doing. And that way you've got that awareness and you've got the understanding and <clears throat> a little bit of clarity. Um, help on prenatal supplement please. Um, so you should be supplementing with 200 micrograms of iodine and taking a prenatal supplement. Prenatal supplement you can get over the shelf. Um, that's got the folic acid in that you need. I would also recommend taking vitamin D and omega-3 as you should already be doing and taking your prenatal for around about three months before. It's really good actually prenatal supplements help with the egg fertilization. So yeah, really important. Um, Thoughts on fat-free versus full-fat products. Now, what a question. What a question. And instantly I thought Slimming World. Instantly. Because all they portray is fat-free, right? Fat-free yogurt. Fat-free cheese. Fat-free this. Free lettuce whatever it is, you know.
1: Now, what are my thoughts? There's a place for both. There is a place for both. Now, if your goal is fat loss and you're looking to get some protein in, again, I'm very conscious of the ears that this falls on.
0: If your goal is fat loss and you're looking to get some protein in and you're looking to reduce your calories somewhere, opting for the lower fat option could be really beneficial for you. However, for a lot of people, that becomes very much a rule. And if you don't get the 0% fat Greek yogurt are getting at 5%, which let me tell you is infinitely better. Infinitely. It is 100 times better than 0%. 100%. If you're saying I cannot have it, that's a food rule, massive red flag. And actually a lot of people would benefit from like the 5% or even the 2% because fat, dietary fat, polyunsaturated fat is so important for hormonal health. Having a diet high in polyunsaturated fats is beneficial for the menopause it's more of a Mediterranean style diet. We need fats, EPA, DHA, we need them. We need the short chain fatty acids. And actually there's some really cool research on satiety. And if you're cooking with say like fry light and you're not cooking with olive oil, olive oil is a really healthy fat. It's a polyunsaturated fat. And if you're cooking with fry lights, you're like, well, the calories, get olive oil and spray. Taste so much better. But if you're cooking with fats, and I mean these polyunsaturated fats, there is some research that shows that's linked to a greater amount of satiety. So that you're you're remaining fuller for longer. And fats are energy macronutrients, just like carbohydrates. However, they are the quote-unquote healthier fats, that they're, they're slower digested, so they are more satiating. Remember, I did the whole i and omelet for lunch, and actually I'm going to do that next week again. Um, because, you know, the weather's getting better.
1: Um, And you will notice you're fuller for longer. So there is a place for 0% fat. But for most people, I would challenge why you want to eat 0% fat. Is it fear of the calories?
0: If it's fat loss, then that's okay. But you still
1: need fats in your diet. I wouldn't have any female go below 40 grams of dietary fats ever. So where are you getting your fats in? And of course, we want to be reducing saturated fats in one's diet.
0: But if you're having like 5% fat Greek yogurt, that's not full of saturated fats. Saturated fats is found in like fatty meat. So potentially it might benefit you getting the leaner meat in this instance and they're like leaner burgers like leaner sausages but then what I tend to see is this association with zero percent fat yogurt being the most optimal and it's all again it's this association with calories isn't it and it's wild that we still think like that it's like oh well look at this snack, it's 100 calories. Great, well done. How is that nourishing your body? How is that gifting your body? And of course, energy balance matters. Energy balance over a period of time matters. But if you are just associating your eating habits with a calorie, with a fat content, you are going to be consumed by food preoccupation for the rest of your life. Because you're putting food rules on yourself with numbers. You're it's it's putting like moral weight in this food, and it's it's seeking validation to give yourself permission to eat that food. I.e., this is fat free, so I can eat it. I.e., this snacks less than 100 calories, so I can eat it. But is you say right? Say if you are looking to restore your menstrual cycle. Say if you're going through the menopause. Say if you're looking to um, conceive. Say if you're looking for general health, right? Is going for the 0% fat the most viable option for you? Or would you benefit from more fats in your diet, keeping you more satiated, keeping you fuller for longer, increasing your polyunsaturated fats, having some salmon? Or do you always go for cod? Cod 0% fat. And, and does fat scare you because you've been exposed to all of these rules for so many years? adenami beans so they scare you like literally someone once said to me that they couldn't eat adenami beans because they had fat in them okay they're great but it's the food wall, isn't it where does that come where does that stem
1: and is that imprisoning or is that empowering and there will be a place and a time for you to go and get zero percent fat but it's not to be consumed by just having that at all instead
0: it's looking at how is this as I said how is this nourishing my body how is this supporting me in pursuit of my goals how does this align to my values and that's another thing isn't it like until you know your values you struggle to set goals and you struggle to remain focused on your goals tangent there massive but i always talk about values massively so yeah place for fat free don't think it benefits everyone but then that's coming from a place where i was obsessed with fat free stuff i used to cook with fry light all the time and let me tell you it damages your pans. i'm sick of spending money on teafowl sick of it so olive oil yes five percent fat greek yogurt yes jesus yes maybe up for the lighter meat the leaner meat or what for corn because it's cheaper
1: not not that I'm all for veggie at all or for it um so yeah oh okay next question nutritional strategies for illness heart disease cancer actually do you know what there was a really
0: cool bit of um knowledge that dr Richie Kerwin gave on the podcast that's coming out next week in terms of cancer patients and how they were given resistance training as part of their rehabilitation and recovery and how there was actually research to show i'm i can't quote him so listen to that next week i can't quote him but there was research to show like the percentage increase in in like um how well patients recovered through this rehabilitation firstly <clears throat> if you have if you've been diagnosed with these of course you will have done if somebody has it close to you they should have a dietitian. there should be something provided from the nhs and they may well have been given guidelines <clears throat> for heart disease we know reducing saturated fats massively increasing polyunsaturated fats having a diet high in fiber having a diet protein rich in protein do you know the basic guidelines are there to support everybody nothing cures an illness but it can benefit how you're feeling so i would always recommend those To everybody, but I would also recommend checking in with the dietitian because there may be nutritional strategies that this patient in particular or this person in particular has to follow because of things like medication. So I would always seek advice first from a medical profession because when there are illnesses like this, they are taking things, or maybe they're going through procedures, operations that that do require, like some people have to follow like a FODMAP diet as an example to begin with or people have to, like, there's so many different things. So I I would never give specific advice here, but I would say diet rich in polyunsaturated fats, diet high in plants, diet plants a week, maybe opting for more veggie meals, maybe using some guam, diet rich in protein, diet low in saturated fats, a diet rich in veggies. That is the general guideline for, for these patients that I would give but specifically speak to a dietitian that is linked with the NHS. And that's going to be it for me today, folks. So some really cool questions. Again, I'm not sure why I was a bit tongue twisted, and I'm still a bit tongue twisted now. had a really good breakfast as well. You know, maybe it's ovulation. Thanks very much, buddy. (laughs) No, thanks everyone for tuning in.
1: I hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, any questions, want to chat about anything else, you know where I am. Ciao, ciao.